You're listening to the weekly Joel Klatt segment podcast. Listen to it live every Wednesday between 8 and 8.30 a.m. during the football season. Presented exclusively by Audi Flatirons in Broomfield. Exceeding your experience from the first mile to the last. Does protect the shield mean protect the owners? I think it does. But settle down just a little bit. Boy, <laughs> <laughs> right, Jerry, Jerry, it's, that would be his reaction Jerry, word for word. Hey, yeah, now listen, great listen, job, man. No need to look that close. All right, Joe Platt <laughs> is presented by Audi Flatirons. He joins us now. Joe, say good morning to Sandy Clough. I Ben told me you were on Sandy, and I immediately got a huge smile. Obviously, yeah. love stink, but it's so good to talk to you, man. How yeah, you doing? I'll tell you, I'm doing great. And you did. I watched from start to finish. You and Gus did a great job on Penn State, Iowa. I, I'm sorry that uh, Clifford got hurt, uh, but it was a great game, and you guys captured it beautifully. Great job. Well. It, I mean, shoot, if, if we didn't shame on us, because that was a, like you said, it was an amazing game and an amazing Saturday of college football. If you were oh, college wasn't football, it? Or maybe just a sports fan in general with what happened with the, with the fight later on Saturday night. Oh, what a that day was an of sports. Epic day of sports. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. What's your reaction uh, while we were just talking about it? What's your reaction to, uh, uh, everything going on with John Gruden and the way the NFL is, is dealing with it? Yeah, I mean, listen, the, as we've known for any number of years now, I mean, the NFL is going to do whatever they feel like makes them look best in the moment. You know, I, I don't think that the NFL has that much interest in, you know, governing itself or operating in a manner in which is totally forthright at all times. <laughs> they They have an interest in when something arises, trying to take the stance that makes them look the best at the time. Um, I think that's what protect the shield means, you know? I, and, and so I don't think they have any interest whatsoever to start digging around and rooting out, you know, any John Gruden-esque emails yeah. all around the league, right? And so... I, I don't know if that's exactly what you're talking about, but that's kind of how I view it, you know, and, and that is why Roger Goodell is paid what he's paid is, is to go out there and, and put on essentially a show saying, Hey, look at us. We're doing the right thing. We're here for you. And in reality, you know, they, they, they're doing that because it's public, not because <laughs> it happened. And I think those are two different things. If you were the Broncos this week, how would you feel about playing the Raiders? Um, a bit nervous, to be honest with you. Would Not you? because the Raiders are going to come play, you know, a better game or anything like that. But now just all the pressure is on the Broncos. Broncos have to win. They have to win. Um, especially with what's going on in their season, right? And <laughs> so it's this, – this is one of the – if I was the Broncos coaching staff, I, if, in particular, if I was Pat Shermer, I would be, I would be, I would feel like I was coaching for my job this week. Because if I went out there and played and called another inept game on the offensive side, and my plan was not creative, and the play calling was suspect until I had to have it late, 
and we lost to the Raiders the week after their coach had to step down for, you know, decade-long emails, I, I would feel like I was going to get fired. So I think that the entire pressure and focus of this game is on the coaching staff of the Denver Broncos, their failures on the uh, in the special teams, their, sp- their failures offensively to create anything for, for their um, players in terms of a game plan, in particular, like Noah Fant not getting targeted until the fourth quarter. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. come on. Like, what come are we on. doing? <laughs> so, I, you know, to answer your question, I, I think that this matchup this week presents a huge amount of pressure for the Broncos and more specifically their staff um, when they're facing a team that no one expects to play well and is dealing with a a massive distraction. And I always go back to the coaching adage, the quickest way to be defeated is to be distracted. And the the Raiders could not be more distracted at this point. Visiting with Joel Klatt, I'm curious, quarterback, the relationship between Derek Carr and John Gruden. Now, Derek Carr is a veteran, but talk to us about the relationship that exists between a quarterback and his primary play caller, which Gruden is, that's now all of a sudden taken away. What what are the ramifications of that? Well, it's a, it's a good question. You know, that, that relationship, when it's working well, and I'm talking in general terms, not specifically about that particular relationship, but the quarterback-play caller relationship is, is a marriage of some sorts and a marriage is always working best when the two are pulling in the same direction and have uh, similar, if not the same goals or objectives. And when, when it, when it starts to fracture is when the objectives and the goals are not aligned. And you might be thinking like, well, what is he talking about? Well, when, when you're hitched together, when you're equally yoked, if you will, you know the yoke <laughs> is what you put over like two y- ox, right, or oxen, and, and they're going to pull a carriage or horses or whatever. You put a yoke on them. When you're equally yoked, you have to work together to reach a, an objective because you're tied together. You want the play caller and the quarterback to be equally yoked. When they're not, and, and a play caller could save his job, but the quarterback, you know, and, and, and they're not tied together or the quarterback could play well and the play caller could get fired. There's, there can be a lack of trust and, and that rhythm gets thrown off, not only during the week, but, but certainly on a Saturday or a Sunday. And, and what you want is to be on the same page and you want to be equally yoked. And, and I, obviously I don't think that that's the case now with the Raiders moving forward because at this point, you know, not from a behavioral standpoint, but because I think he's one of the most respected men in the NFL, but Carr is tied to Gruden. Yeah. Whoever comes in now, you know, is going to be looking at like, do I want this quarterback? Right. Or do I not want this quarterback? Right. So that, to me, it, it just presents a massive amount of strain on that relationship in the sense that you, you don't know where the trust level is between the quarterback and, and the play caller. Boy, after that explanation, it's a good thing Schlereth isn't here today. That whole yoked conversation would have gone completely over his head. 
Well, he probably would have just gotten hungry yeah. and been thinking yeah, about yes. eggs. Yeah, yeah. Been like, he hey, would have fought eggs. I got to get a workout yeah, in, or I got to get a workout in because exactly. I'm yoked. Okay, go ahead, Sandy. <laughs> no, I, I was just gonna, uh, back to college football for a second because it was a, a great Saturday. I mean, Alabama losing, I think, for the first time since Nick Saban was a first-year head coach at Alabama back in 2007 to an unranked team. Uh, is there a chance that um, the team you watched win the game on Saturday, Iowa from the Big Ten, could challenge, oh, I suppose Georgia's the team for the moment that's at the top of the heap. Uh, in your opinion, I know you're an admirer of Big Ten football this year, and the Big Ten does seem very strong. Could a team like Iowa win a national championship? Well, I do love Iowa. I mean, my dad being a coach for so many years, I really appreciate the teams that do everything well. And yeah. Iowa does everything well. Maybe right. save for play great offense, right? Yeah, um, well. Yeah. They, they, they work around the offense, and I would say play complementary football. Yeah. Uh, but, man, their special teams are excellent. Their oh. defense is obviously excellent. To, to some degree, though, in, in particular in arts board, at this level, the margin between the great teams and even the really good teams is much more substantial than in the NFL just because of the separation of the talent. Just to give you some sense of the separation of talent right now with Georgia and everybody else. Okay. Sandy, they have, they have nine players in their defensive two deep that get snaps that were five star recruits when they came out of high school. <laughs> and you think like, oh man, that's, that's really good, right? That's really good. That's the exact number of five-star recruits that is playing football right now in the entire Pac-12 conference. <laughs> <laughs> That's just Georgia's uh, yeah. defense. So, so okay. think about what that, what that implies. That yeah. means that the first team, all Pac-12 defense, right. has less five-star players than Georgia's specific <laughs> defense. So, I mean, the gap is so vast yeah. right, right now, even between a team like Georgia and, and Iowa. Yeah. Um, I really love what Iowa brings. I think that there's some something in me in the back of my head that says, at least at the national championship level, this could be unsustainable. If this was 1985 or 1992, I would think to myself, yeah, Iowa's got a completely legitimate chance to win a national championship because they may never have to play Georgia and if Georgia were to lose one time and Iowa yeah. could go through a Big Ten schedule and then ro win a Rose Bowl against a weaker Pac-12 team and be undefeated, they would be crowned the national champion. But now you can't do that. It's unavoidable. <laughs> you will have to I go have through to play them. one yeah. of those teams yeah. with, with the superior talent. And so there's there's part of me that thinks it's it's unsustainable. And then there's this other part of me that thinks to myself, I'm going to be sitting down watching the national championship game watching Iowa pick off the third pass from JT Daniels or Stetson Bennett, thinking to myself, you know, Kurt Ferentz is going to be handed the, the national championship trophy, and I'm going to be like, this is still unsustainable. Like, I can't, <laughs> like, this, this can't happen. I don't, I don't think that this could happen. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's college football is a wild deal. It is a wild deal. And that was going to be my question, Joel, is that for all of us who love where college football is at with a four-team playoff but would love to see it expanded to eight or to even 12 teams man this seems like the kind of year that you could make an argument 
that if you had a 12-team playoff, it could be a free-for-all. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. And this year is really unique, by the way. And uh, this is going to be a year like like no other in history, nor um, any other that we will have moving forward. And it is that way in the sense that the teams that are not historically blue bloods with those five-star recruits, they have the super seniors this year because of the COVID eligibility rules. So there's a lot of teams out there, yeah. Iowa being one of them, yeah. have some good players sure. that are in their sixth year of college yeah. football. So you got a bunch of BYU Cougar teams oh, running around. Yeah, I, was just, I was just thinking that. What is this, BYU? That's right. So, you know, what what you're seeing right now is that, you know, the Cincinnati's of the world, the Iowa's of the world, uh, these teams, you know, even Michigan to some degree, Michigan State certainly falls into this category. Kentucky falls into this category. You're like, man, these teams are having a great year. And what you, you what you see is a lot of them are playing with six-year players, Whereas Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, Georgia, you know, these you know, Ohio State, these traditional blue blood programs don't even have fourth year players because they all leave after their first three. So you could make an argument that this is going to be as good of a college football year and finish potentially uh, as we've ever had because of the parity due to the COVID eligibility rules with the six year senior. But it might be an aberration. Could be. I, I think it will be moving forward. Um but I do think the expanded playoff would be really good for college football. Think of even Texas A&M. Texas A&M has looked terrible. Beat Colorado by a score. Couldn't score against Mississippi State or right. Arkansas. And then all of a sudden stun Alabama. Well, with two losses, they would still have a path to a 12-team playoff. And I think that would be good for the sport, Sandy. It would keep more yeah. bases and teams engaged over the long haul. I, I just wanted to add, and you're probably aware of this as closely as you follow college football the quarterback for texas a&m who looked so good the other night was the same guy who played here in denver and that was the game where the the starter got hurt and i'm not exaggerating virtually every time he came off the field fisher was screaming at him (laughs) and then i transposed myself to saturday night and see the entire crowd seemingly engulfing this guy and that Texas A&M team after they knocked off Alabama. And I'm saying this can't be the same guy. Well, yeah. So Haynes King, who is their starter, goes down in the Colorado game. Zach Calzada comes on, and they can't do anything offensively for the better part of a month. Certainly not in that game, to the point where Colorado had a legitimate chance to beat them. And they, and they beat Alabama. It's, it's wild, and but it also speaks to the the beauty of of this sport and this level. You know, you see um, growth and 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 uh, you know evolution from a player more so than you do at the next level. And and those opportunities are there, uh, in particular for young guys that are getting their feet wet for the first time playing. And it's something that that I truly love. And I can't decide right now whether. You know, this is more an indictment on Alabama for losing to what could be categorized as the worst team that they've lost to since 2007. Right. Or is this a what could have been for a Texas Mm A&M team that we all thought was going to be one of the teams that was legitimate in the SEC West? I can't decide. Um, But I I will tell you that, you know, this, this Alabama team is not what it has been in the past. And, Sandy, 
One of the reasons is is because they don't play as dominant a defense. Right. 2007, right, right. Their, Saban's first year was the last time that they weren't a team that gave up less than 20 points per game. That was the last time. Ever since then, they've been a top-10 defense until the last three years. Then they've been 12th, 13th, and 13th in defense. But always giving up less than 20 points. Now they're giving up 22 points per game. That's 40th in the country. Well, what that does is it puts an exceptional amount of stress on your offense. Your room for error, your margin for error goes way down. And what happened is is they got inside the five twice, once in the second quarter, once in the fourth quarter. They had first and goal inside the five. They came away with total three points out of those two series. They threw an interception. Then they ran it, uh, or excuse me, threw it three times and kicked a field goal in the fourth quarter. Their play calling and play design was horrific. I think Bill O'Brien was more the culprit of their loss than anything either Texas A&M did or Alabama didn't do. Bill O'Brien as an OC is not nearly what Steve Sarkeesian was. He was static, no movement, no yeah. run routes. He was running right. level routes yeah. against man coverage. It was horrendous. All right, Joel. Great stuff. Who you got this week? Um, I'm going down to Texas. Oklahoma State, who is weirdly undefeated, yeah. taking on Texas and maybe the best player in college football, B. John Robinson. Yeah. Wow, you get to talk to uh, Mike Gundy. Yeah, buddy. That mullet, by the way, mm. I mean, he's on out. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> hey, guys, by the way, like, can we get an offensive coordinator for the Broncos? Well, nice. I was just going to say, you're talking about Bill O'Brien. <laughs> <We, laughs> Bill O'Brien it is Bill Walsh compared to Pat Shermer. I mean, Pat Shermer, that is just like, it's like watching paint dry and beating your head against a brick wall all at the same time. We were actually trying to throw incompletions. This is a topic for another day. Well, probably because I don't think Shermer's going anywhere. But, uh, I want to, I want to share with you next week. I'll file this one away. Uh, the conversation Brock Heward sat in the other day for Mark and he talked about the three different kind of coordinators, the, uh, week of coordinators, the halftime coordinators and the series to series coordinators and who you do not want to go up against if you're a defensive coach. And I'm curious as to uh, which category you think Pat Shermer falls into. <laughs> I think I know the answer. We'll get to that next week. Thank you, Joel. I love it. I love it. Have a great one, guys. All right. <laughs> Joel Klatt, presented by Audi Flatirons. Always good stuff from Joel. And as he, always, he, he did a great job on that game the other day because that, that was, um, it was a big time environment as it always is in Iowa City. I still think Georgia is far and away the best team in college football, but for those of us who would love to see a 12-team playoff, yeah. you could easily yeah. take oh, yeah. two through 12 and make a case that any one of those teams could win a national championship. Yeah, I I think so, and I, I agree with what he said. Georgia's talent level is off the charts. I mean, Georgia's as good. I mean, they don't have Nick Saban, but Georgia's as good as Alabama has been. In recent years, for this year, I don't know what right. happens beyond this year, but for this year, yes, Georgia certainly is the dominant team. What did I see the other day? I mean, 46% chance to win the national title. That's almost an even money bet, Georgia against the field. As always, a lot to unpack with Joel. We'll do that coming up and also get more into our avalanche season preview, including Darcy Kemper, now the man between the pipes.
Is he the man to lead the Avs to the promised land? That's next. Denver Sports Station, 1043, The Fan. Hello, this is Ryan Watson, Vice President and General Manager of Audi Flatirons and Audi Boulder Service. When was the last time a dealership delivered the experience you were looking for? Have you ever felt that buying a car was solely about making the sale? It should be about the relationship, beginning with your commitment to do business with us and continuing through the years to follow. Our team is dedicated to exceeding your expectations from the first mile to the last. Come see us in person or visit us online at AudiFlatirons.com or AudiBoulderService.com. 